what up guys and girls it's bobby and sean come back to you guys for another week's episode of the cronus cast apologies for the delay uh and getting episodes out to you guys uh as you know both sean and i super busy guys uh so apologies for the delay in content but we're back to our regularly scheduled programming with today's episode brought to you guys by paragon recovery Use the code CRONUS for 15% off. And I believe they're having a Labor Day sale this weekend, too. So make sure you hit See. them up and get them up. Uh, hit them up for uh, your recovery needs. Hell yeah. Bobby, what have you been up to this week? Oh, allergies. Oh, here comes the sneeze. Nope. All right, we're good. We're good. Bobby, what have you been up to? Uh, just been kind of busy with work. Um, last weekend, uh, I was working last weekend. The weekend before that, I was also working. This weekend I've been off. It's been nice. Uh, haven't really been doing too much, so uh, it's nice to kind of chill out, get some sleep, and catch up on some sleep. Dude, I can't imagine what it must be like. I feel like we talk about this every time, but being in a hospital, having to do surgeries, and then contend with all of the COVID stuff um, that's going on. Did we talk about the the ninety four percent, six percent CDC report that? has been somewhat misquoted um, when we look at uh, the mortality rates and, and deaths. We have not. Have you have you read that? Do you have a do you have a hot take on that? I mean like y- sure that you can like was it like the six percent uh, are solely attributed to COVID and everybody ninety four percent are have like other comorbidities or other conditions associated yeah. with it. Yeah, well, I think like the there was a Q Anon or Quanon. I, I don't know what the Q uh, Anon uh, website was, and and that's been like apparently it's a propaganda, like a Chinese hoax or something. Was like one of the other reports on it, but it misquoted the CDC by saying that only six percent of all fatalities were a direct result of COVID and no other underlying conditions. And I think, in fact, the CDC essentially just said of all of the deaths from COVID only or instead of saying that, uh, 94 percent listed uh, a, you know, a secondary issue that the person might have had that contributed to it. And then the individuals took that statistic to mean that COVID had only killed, you know, six percent of those um, that were infected. So it was kind of like they were stretching yeah. some of the truth from the stat. But I still think. At the end of the day, it's still creating a, a pretty transparent issue with underlying conditions and then flu season and how every single year, you know, what percentage of people are actually dying from the actual disease versus or the flu, excuse me, or, you know, some underlying condition that, you know, they've been unhealthy for a significant amount of time. Yeah, but I think that's uh, it depends on how you want to interpret the, the statistic because, you know, um Everybody, pretty much everybody has some sort of health condition at a certain point in time. Like, everybody's going to have something going on. It really depends on how right. the hospital EMR, the hospital records kind of code uh, your diagnoses and health conditions. Uh, so, like, I mean, technically, I could probably be have a comorbid condition of, like, seasonal allergies if they wanted to code it that way. Sure. Um, but at the same point, it's the point that um, I think it makes that, you know, by getting COVID, you might be healthy. Uh, or in like a you know a healthy balance, but then getting COVID or getting the flu pushes you over, and then your body just isn't able to deal with that insult, um, which I still think you know is still a valid consideration. Um, 
because you know otherwise like if you didn't catch the disease you probably still be healthy quote unquote. yeah quote unquote healthy i i've got asthma and i know if i were to kick the bucket that would be listed and people were like oh well you know clearly unhealthy but i think it goes to a larger point when you mentioned probably almost everyone has some sort of an underlying condition uh, what was the scientific term you used doctor uh what did I say? Like I said, COVID was an insult, but I didn't say. No, the uh, co- comorbid, morbidity, comorbid conditions. Yes, comorbid. thank you. All right, you guys can Google how to spell that. I'm I'm not going to do that. Um, but with an incredibly like with somewhat of an aging population now, with our boomers, with the fact that obesity has taken off, I feel like at least forty percent of the country, since we're forty percent obese, at a minimum, when you look at obesity has some issue now that's just going to make every flu season that much more deadly. And like, I'm fearful that every single season now we're going to be wearing masks. Like, is this going to be a normal thing? Yeah, I could see that. I mean, masks are kind of a normal thing in most of the world. Like all of Asia, people wear masks in public during flu and cold when it gets cold outside, just out of kind of common decency and respect for the people when they're not feeling well because they don't want to transmit, I don't know, like the cold to somebody else during public sure. transportation. So I think there's a certain aspect that's like probably not a bad idea to have more, to be that having more of a common, like, you know, helping other people and trying to be preventing the spread of, you know, like the cold and flu and other less, you know, severe illness, illnesses. But at the same time, though, it's just like people are going to be inherently selfish regardless, as you can see, um, and our American culture is inherently selfish. For sure. I I mean, hell, I don't always wear my mask. Um, if I'm not inside of a building, if I'm outdoors and I'm not in like a crowded like central, uh, central park area, I'm not going to have my mask on. But I will say I would be much more inclined to wear my mask if this whole event was happening, say, in the later fall, early winter, as just a way to keep my face warm. Again, that's a really selfish way to look at it. But at some point, I feel like Americans are just getting like really tired of wearing masks. And I wonder if that has to do with just being so hot, uh, literally hot from wearing that on their face. Um, or if they're just like, listen, I'm I'm thinking that this isn't as bad as people are making it out, but I can't wear a mask anymore. I mean, like, what are your general feelings on the American population's you know, adherence to CDC guidance now? Do you think it's been, you know, uh, somewhat destroyed by, you know, politics? Or do you think that people in general want to still do the right thing? I think pe- I think it's like half and half. I think people are still, you know, it's kind of like politicized almost wearing masks. And it's like an infringement of my liberties, my rights. My rights. Oh, oh no, you didn't, Bobby. Not, not my rights. You can't, you can't take away my... Uh, 14th 15th 16th second amendment right bear arms right that's what it means yeah can't infringe my rights to my right to my liberties to, to not wear masks anyway but it's just like i i just roll my eyes because it's like um at the end of the day you putting on a mask it doesn't really inconvenience you by any means sure and it's like it might be a little bit uncomfortable but at this point like i don't even notice if i have it on and don't have it on like in the OR, if we're in the OR, I wear a mask anyways, and you know, wear a mask for like eight hours a day. If in the OR, if I'm in the OR that long, doesn't yeah, doesn't really bother me. Hey, have you you gotten, you know, like any more seven p.m. Uh, celebrations still, you know, going on out there on the West Coast? 
I don't think we ever had him out here. I think that was like a New York City thing. Oh my god, do you hear that, America? Looks like the state of Washington does not, one, celebrate our veterans or our veteran doctors. It's unbelievable. When's the last time you were thanked for your service? Uh, I actually don't know. That's a good question. Unbelievable. That, <laughs> that, that, this timeline just does not compute for me. I mean, it's why every other day I wear a shirt that says, like, you know, OEF or OFS for, you know, the newer generation. You should just not get getting these, thanked. Uh, you, should wear, you should go in those Afghanistan bed hats and just wear that. I wanted to. So uh, <laughs> when I was getting out, I actually went to the PX and I could not find one. Um, that was just like that, that annoying vet enough of a hat. Like they were not that, the you know, trucker style. They're just like the baseball cap, like a dad cap. And I was like, this is not worth it. Um, but I would absolutely wear that, like ironically around the city. Cause you see a ton of people wearing like vet hats sometimes. And you just look at them like, I don't think, no, no, I don't think that's a vet, but regardless, Washington, if you're out there, Thank Dr. Bobby here. Like, this is just unreal. The 7 o'clock thing here in the city has gone down significantly uh, since I first, I want to say like April, May. It was crazy. 7 o'clock, there were blowhorns. There were those uh, fofuzilas. I I think that the thing from the South African World Cup where Mm -hmm. you you blow and it makes this like cricket sound. Yeah, like people would have those. Now it's oh pots and pans. I mean, you, you might have like 10 people on every block now that... They do the celebration at 7 p.m., but it's like nobody cares anymore. Yeah. There's a classic uh, classic modern society where the attention span is, you know, like a week. Speaking of attention span, Mulan came out uh, this last Friday. I have yet to see it. I haven't seen it yet. You have to upgrade to Disney Pro or Disney Plus uh, to even be able to watch it. I downloaded I, it. I haven't watched it. Oh, my God. Downloading it. Unbelievable. You're doing the right thing, though. I, I want to watch it, but I've read some reviews, and now I'm yeah, afraid to watch it. Yeah, the reviews are pretty bad. Pretty bad. Like, what I, I agree with one of them was, did Disney think that American audiences couldn't sit there and, like, read subtitle? I almost think that this is a movie that should have been subtitled. Uh... I just think it misses, like, it's like when you watch, uh, what was that Matt Damon movie with uh, Pedro Pascal? Uh, was it called wall. the great wall great yeah wall. like that that just seemed really like white savior like if it had been because i think it was a, a chinese film that they casted matt damon and pedro mm-hmm. pascal for but it's like if it had been in chinese i think that would have been like a way cooler like more authentic feel instead of this like uh we want it to be in both markets and successful like it just doesn't look right but i want to see mulan i i I love that kind of like film, the fighting. I just, I'm now I'm scared to watch it because I didn't watch it opening night and it's got some shit reviews. Yeah, Christina and I, instead of watching Mulan, we start rewatching The Sopranos again. Oh, what are you, you're not living in Jersey anymore, man. Like, I miss, get in you. I love uh, I started watching The Boys. Did you watch season two uh, of The Boys yet? I haven't watched The Boys. I don't, I'm not, I haven't gotten into it. I haven't tried it. It's pretty good. Uh, I like it because it's violent. Um, but yeah, all right, we're rambling. Um, injuries, we, we've been like teeing this up now for a couple weeks. We've gotten a lot of questions about what it's like coming back from injury, getting back to full, 
uh, peak performance, how you can listen to your body. And while many of you know I'm the expert uh, when it comes to physical health, I think it would be best if we had Dr. Bobby uh, give us some insight on the actual you know, physical mechanics of your body and what going through an injury, responding to an injury, and getting back to fitness looks like. So, doctor? Uh, yeah, so I think the, you know, the first step or the first thing you need to take into account when dealing with injuries is injury prevention. So that's why we always talk about, like, active recovery days, like stretching and listening to your body, getting good sleep, um, making sure you're getting, you know, good nutrition, good sleep, and being able to recover after sessions. I think that a lot of overuse injuries, like, guys always ask us about shin splints and, like, all these, like, stress injuries. And like, what can I do better? And it's like, it's like beating a dead horse at this point. I feel like with the, um, like shin splints and like stuff like that. It's just like, you know, I think it's very important to pay attention to your body and kind of feel what your body's doing, you know. Um, and then whether that's strengthening some things, stretching certain things, or changing up your technique or your form, you know, pay attention to what. Uh, things are making it worse, what's making it better and kind of work from there. Would you recommend that if someone had an injury that required surgery, not like a life threatening surgery, but like an ACL, a labrum, would you recommend if they had the opportunity to push that surgery like a month, month and a half to do maybe some supplemental PT to, to strengthen that, that body part um, would be best or get the surgery and recover from there? So it depends on the injury and the uh, what is going on. I think I saw some like study that examined um, knees, like meniscal injuries and like surgery versus like non-surgery for meniscus. Uh, I think it was like in Europe did this study, but pretty much they showed that uh, surgery did not improve symptoms of knee pain for meniscus injuries when compared with like sham surgeries that didn't actually fix the meniscus. Mm. It's kind of interesting because, you know, that's kind of like the first line that people will jump to if they have a meniscus tear and meniscus injury is they pretty much go for surgery to fix that meniscus. But this study, it seems to indicate that, uh, that you know, going into surgery might not actually address the pain and symptoms. Um, so I think a lot of the time when it comes to, like, injuries, uh, assuming, like, you didn't break a bone or, like, like, lo- like if you blow out your knee, you blow out your ACL, those are like pretty severe injuries that you know that we know probably won't heal themselves. But we have like some other like maybe like some sprains or strains or nothing that's like super acute uh, that can still function. I would probably try and, and just keep working it out. Like in college, I like dislocated my elbow, my shoulder um, pretty badly, cool. and then I never got surgery on it. I just kind of strength like stretched it out and strengthened uh, like the rotator cuff around the injury. And I never got surgery on my shoulder, but I'm pretty sure like I tore my labrum or did something to it because it still like clicks. It's kind of funky still, but I can still work with it, and it's still pretty functional now. But you know, I don't know what it would be like if I got surgery on it. If that would have affected like the mobility and the strength of my shoulder if I had surgery on it. Yeah, uh, but it's something to, to be keep in mind of that, that like a lot of soft tissue damage or soft tissue injuries, you can probably work around with and strengthen the surrounding areas to like overcome some maybe maybe structural maybe just some you know um yeah strength issues dude i uh tore my labrum and i almost thought about not getting surgery on it because uh, i like i pulled it apart in was it two places to make three parts and or no three places 
And for the entire summer, uh, when I had originally gotten like an x-ray and an MRI, they didn't see any tear. Uh, and I took those same pictures to an orthopedic surgeon who's like, no, your, your labrum's just shot. You need to get surgery. But I'd been doing some PT. And if it hadn't been for the fact that, you know, the doctor was pretty adamant, you have to get surgery, I think I would have foregone that option. And it would have just been like a more difficult recovery. Like, did you feel like when you dislocated your shoulder, like there was like a, it just doesn't feel completely in. And then, you know, potentially with that labrum tear, like, you know, that front up towards the pec and the bicep just weren't completely connected. Uh, I didn't think it felt like super, it was just felt like kind of off and like, didn't feel like super comfortable. We yeah. Had like issues like raising it over her head and some other movements, but then. Um, I kind of like did a lot of the shoulder prehab exercises that you'd normally do for like rotator cuff injuries. And then over time, it just got better over time. I just never really had issues with it. My labrum, I tore in 2008. And it took me probably six months to get back to where I was uh, pre-tear. Um, it took like a lot of... I wouldn't say maturity on my part, which I, I was lacking at that age, especially when it came to listening to my body because I was in college. I wanted to look like, you know, upper body jacked uh, in order to impress people, my friends. And then when I couldn't lift anything with my left arm or my left side, I was like, all right, I don't want to overtrain the right side of my body. At which point I wish I had picked up training legs. Like that would have been a great opportunity to, to start. And I'm, I'm mad. I'm forever mad that I didn't lift legs in college. But it sucked getting back into it and not having like a dedicated either coach or doctor on call to be like, is this the right feeling I'm supposed to have? Because I went to do um, physical therapy and the physical therapist was I mean, it was essentially like we're just going to get you back to being able to live. Right. And and that sounds like super dramatic, but just day to day operations. I, I feel like unless you are a D1 athlete or potentially in like a soft unit, they're never going to get you back when it comes to PT to try to go towards peak fitness. It's always just, I just want you to, to leave here and have regular mobility. That's like the goal. It's like, I, I want to train for more than just regular mobility. Like that's what was really frustrating between that. And then my second surgery where like the PT was essentially the same thing. Like, we're just going to have you practice, like just doing normal shit, like turning a doorknob. Like, that's not what I want. Like, I want to get back to cleaning. Yeah, and that's the thing with, like, the kind of healthcare professionals is, like, um, everybody has certain agendas and everybody has certain goals that comes with your care, and they might not align with what you want done. For example, like, with the orthopedic surgeon, like, you know, that's saying, like, if you're a hammer, everything else becomes a nail. So, like, if that's all you do and that's all you see, you know, you see, like, a labrum injury, they just, you know, will say, oh, you have a labrum injury, that this needs surgery, and we're going to do surgery to fix it. But they might not actually benefit you or actually actually improve your symptoms, you know. And the same thing yeah. with physical therapy. Physical therapy, their their goal isn't necessarily to make you like, you know, back to Olympic caliber athlete. Their goal is to kind of make you improve your pain and symptoms so that you can go live your own life without yeah. you know. It it was super frustrating because around the same time, Chad Johnson, aka Chad Ochocinco, had torn his labrum and like a month later was catching passes. Mm-hmm. because he had his surgery and I'm sitting there going, what am I doing differently that this individual is not doing? Or, you know, and I went to go see my PT and 
was like, okay, what exercises should I be doing to strengthen these muscles? Because if he's going out there and hitting the ground and catching balls, and I'm sitting here still being able to, you know, barely do a curl with my left arm, clearly one of us was on a fast track. One of us definitely had the musculature before the injury, that being the NFL athlete that I didn't have. But like, what could I have done before that injury? And I think you mentioned it kind of at the top of the topic, you know, preventative stuff before you get injured, doing the stretching, the strengthening, being, you know, kind of functionally fit across all realms so that when an injury does hit one portion of your body, it doesn't like completely cripple you. Um, that's, you know, that, that was something that was really frustrating for me. Yeah. It's hard too, because like, I mean, unless you're in that space or like kind of know like the data or like the kind of the biomechanics of the stuff, you don't really know like what people are telling you, if it makes sense or not. Um, right. And you can't really decipher the data decipher the information that people are telling you and that's kind of the hard part and that's why it needs you like i recommend getting like second opinions too and talking to different people about injuries yeah when i dislocated my wrist broke part of it and then like crushed the bones in the base of my hand the docs were like oh you're not cleaning you're not bench pressing you're not doing push-ups like you're not gonna be able to grip a bar and i'm sitting there like okay this isn't my first rodeo with a surgery mm-hmm. I feel like I understand my body now to a relative degree that if you're telling me this is the surgery that you're going to do, I can still do these general movements based on like my limited understanding of body mechanics. And because of that, I want to like really work back to getting, you know, just some of that mobility back. And I'm, if you're listening to this, you can't see, but I'm making like a goofy looking hand you know, signature because I, I can't move my left hand. But like at least doing that and having some background in fitness because Acronis Fit, it helped me recover significantly where like I was holding more weight in my hand. I could do some basic movements that I never thought I was going to be able to do again based on what the docs were saying. But it goes back to these docs don't have a background in lifting or, you know, functional fitness. So when they say, you know, you can't do anything, it's like you got to take that with a grain of salt sometimes. Yeah. And that's like uh, what it came to because I had a meniscus injury in college too, like a torn meniscus, and I got surgery to debride my meniscus. And then afterwards, it was like, you know, they tell you not to like to take it easy, not to like rush back into it. But, you know, I kind of knew, knew like knowing my body, I, I was like, it doesn't hurt, so I'm going to keep working on it. And then, you know, I was like squatting that 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 week afterwards, like came back to like kind of the same movements and, and gaining some of that movement back because – you know, typically after surgery or any injury, you know, your body tries to heal um, by creating scar tissue around whatever is injured. And by doing so, you, you kind of lose some, um, like, mobility and stuff in oh, that yeah. joint. I, I tried desperately to get, like, the front rack mobility back. And I've been able to generally do that with about the bar to the bar plus... 20 pounds on each side but once the pressure starts like pulling that wrist uh i just i generally can't move my hands any longer even even if i do like a finger on it or like a thumb i just don't have that dexterity but i remember grabbing a bar when i first got my cast off and the splint off and like just holding a 45 pound bar i couldn't even do in my left hand like it, it felt like it was still being pulled and ripped and then fast forward, you know, two to three months and I'm putting up over, you know, 315 on bench again, um, just through like a concerted effort to really strengthen that stability mm-hmm. um, and strengthen some of the other muscle groups before I went like too heavy, too fast. 
Yeah, that's like the biggest thing is just like um, being in tune with your body and kind of understanding how to work on certain movements um, and strengthen certain movements. Um, and that just comes with time, I feel like, time and experience. Yeah, I think what a lot of people get frustrated with too is they always find that when they get injured, it's always at the most inopportune time. Uh, you know, dudes and dudettes training up for ranger school do something to their ankle, their knee a month out that essentially says you're not going to be able to go to school on time or training up for selection. And it's like, you have to push that off. Uh, mine came right before I was taking command. And then when I was like getting healthy, I was like, this is still going to limit me from ever trying to go back to regiment, uh, or go to selection. It was just one of those. I could probably exist somewhere in the army, but not where I want to be. Um, that's probably the biggest problem that I've encountered with people was, like trying to rationalize, does this injury prevent me from doing what I want to do? Or is it just like a small, you know, stepping stone to, to getting there? Yeah. Um, and I would say if you want something like bad enough, if you truly know that your body can handle it, it's again, you, you learn new experiences, you try something new for fitness and then get right back into your training. Cause you're just going to be the better for it now with the, the mental strength that you've developed. Yeah. That's like the kind of big thing too. It's just like your I guess attitude when it comes to injuries too. Um, and another thing is like being like injured versus hurt. Right. What right. Was saying like, you know, if you, are you hurt or are you in pain? And it's, you know, is that what the saying is? I don't know what the, I, I feel like I always think of the saying in my head, but I can't like articulate it. Like when I watch professional soccer, Yeah, it's like those guys are the Kings and Queens of, playing hurt but not being injured right like so maybe it is yeah are, are you hurt or are you injured or we'll say that's that's the saying that's go with it that's the saying official uh cronus uh stamp on that one yeah so that's like saying like you know are you hurt are you, or are you injured like injured like hey like you need like surgery or something's actually damaged versus like hurt is like you have some you know you push yourself a little too hard and you like strain something or sprain something um, they'll just get better by itself. Um, that you just need to take yeah. some time. I think everybody's like done something lifting. Like I, I can't, I can't remember how many times I feel like I've thrown my back out on a deadlift, on a back squat gone wrong. You know, some weird movement where you know your wrist, your hand, your shoulder hurts for a couple of weeks, and but you know you'll get right back at it and and probably be a little bit safer with your lifts. I think people generally that feel like doing fitness is more of a detriment than a positive are the ones that look at being hurt as being permanently injured. And because they don't have the background, it's, you know, a lot of it's just speaking from arrogance or ignorance, excuse me. Yeah. Well, that too, and just using that as an excuse as to, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I think like the, uh, it's going to hurt if you're training for something, you're going to get not hurt, not injured, but just hurt. And right. then you just need to um, work on all these prehab, rehab, you know, doing yoga, mobility work, doing like, uh, you know, like massaging, like lacrosse ball, rollout, stuff like that to really um, dial it in. Cause like back in, you know, when I was like training super hard, um, I was doing like an hour for every, I was doing like two to one of like training to recovery work. Uh, so like every hour of training, I'd do like 30 minutes worth of recovery work. Um, back in like when I was running when I was running a lot or when I was like in my prime of my CrossFit days uh, I was doing like a lot of recovery work because that you know 
slowly adds up over time. And the, the more intense you're training, the more you're um, more stretch you're putting your body under, the more you need that time to recover and to let your body kind of um, uh, like de-stress itself. Yeah, we get that question a lot too. Like, how do I maintain lean muscle mass, my speed, and at the same time bulk? And I think it's like one. It's almost like I feel like intuitive. But if you if you don't come from a like a fitness background where you've gone through a lot of programming or you've you've trained up for one specific event, it seems like the perfect thing. Like I want to look like Chris Hemsworth, but run like the fastest dude in my company. It's like if if you have you know, seven hours a day to devote to fitness where you can do a good solid two hours of lifting an hour of cardio and an hour of, you know, rehab rolling out and then all the other hours dedicated to eating. It's like, you could easily do that, but nobody has that time. So like finding that balance and really goal setting is really important because it has to be one of those do like, you know, if I'm training up for an Ironman, do I want to be the best Ironman athlete I can be? Or do I want to just be like a mediocre one because I want to maintain my muscle mass and in my general physique. Like it, it, I think that plays a much bigger role than really being able to say like, I just want the best of every single world. Yeah. And that's like the realistic goal expectations too. And being able to, you know, train for a certain event. Like we talk people ask about like ranger school, like, um, like I'm training for ranger school, but I also want to like be able to be, you know, be strong still and like deadlift 500 pounds still. But it's like, yeah, you know, it's not gonna really gonna help you. Um, the at the RIs don't give a shit what you deadlift. Like you're gonna show up and they're gonna count your push ups. You're gonna get up. You're gonna do your sit ups. Your run. Your rock. Like if you can't meet those standards, you're gone. And the other thing is, do we get the the questions a lot? I'm training up for Ranger School. I'm running a 35, 36. Like I want to get down to a 32, 33 to go. It's like that's not necessary. Like if you're, if you're physically able to, to maintain the Ranger standard and you can do that, you know, day in, day out under stress, go to Ranger school now. Like don't wait until you are this peak physical athlete where you're going to get a spot report because, you know, you ran sub 32 minutes on your five mile or broke two hours on your ruck. You might just be increasing the chances you get injured before you even get an opportunity to go or you're going to get there and realize you didn't have to train that hard to pass the physical standards. When we recommend that individuals that want to pass that course have like a 37 or 38 minute five mile, that's because for the 24 hours leading up to that event, you're on your feet 90% of the time. You know, you're somewhat stressed out because you're going through the in-processing it, it's all new. You're doing your sit-ups and your push-ups, and you're waiting for two, three hours before you start your run. And so because of that, your legs aren't fresh. And so if you can't run like a 38, 37, then, you know, the likelihood that you pass after all that, if you're barely running 40 is, is the reason why we advocate for that 37, 30, 38 minute mark. But if you're running faster than that, go like, do not, do not wait, go and, and put your packet in and then go get your tab and we'll see you in 63 days. Or you could just work on some other stuff besides running if you're already at, you know, a yeah. good enough level. Like push-ups. I I think bench pressing is, is a pretty good indicator of general chest strength. But being able to bench press 400 pounds if you can only do 40 push-ups and not metronome and not all the way up, not all the way down, it's not what the Army tests. So 
like while doing bench is a great way to build your general strength, you're going to see individuals max that PT test that look like runners because all they do is body weight, push-ups, sit-ups, improvement. You know, it's kind of like that feel grade joke where, all, you know, once you make major, the only, you know, three things you do are push-ups, sit-ups, and run. But like that's the mentality you have to be in if you want to be truly successful at Ranger School where you have no doubts that you're going to pass rap week. But I also think that just passing rap week, the rap week fitness is also a little bit different from Ranger School fitness too. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, I mean, you want to be you want to be generally fit for the entire thing. That that was one of the things that when we were drafting the Ranger School Guide, I was like, all right, we want to get people to pass rap week comfortably. But then after that, it's just this endurance event where you just need to be really good at rucking for distances, picking up and moving with some random objects, um, and, and that's really what's going to fuel you for you know for success for you know the three phases. But I don't know if you think you can do it and you are positive that you've got what it takes and when you're tired you can still hit the standard just go like there's no magic number again and if we've said 37 30 38 and you're like i don't want to go until that time like again we're just giving you an advice you know an opinion that we've had after seeing some guys be successful and individuals not be so successful but if you want to go do not hesitate to drop a packet go get that yeah and i think it's like at a certain point, you're just making excuses also. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, here's a question. My, I got a buddy that's working uh, in a PAO office, and one of their jobs is to go through and see tweets and Instagrams that soldiers are putting up about you know hot takes in the military. And one of the ones that he ran across was about fitness and to be a good leader. Do you think you have to be like physically fit to be a good leader? Do you think that's a, a prerequisite? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would say they're not like mutually exclusive. Like I've seen, you know, great leaders or great people are in great shape. They're shitty leaders. Um, but generally speaking, the good, the best leaders are also in really good shape too, because, you know, I think that comes with being a good leader is being able to, you know, hold yourself to a higher standard and being able to, you know, lead your soldiers through physical fitness. Um, I, th- I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but, you know, definitely highly correlated. Yeah, and I think too the the individuals that you're going to find that are going to say that fitness is not important to being a good leader are not going to be uh, combat arms. You know, it's all going to be your your support, your enablers. That maybe fitness is not a big requirement to being a, a transportation or ordnance soldier, um, like it is for you know the infantry, FA, armor. Well, I don't even know why I said armor. They were all around in tanks. Um, but generally those combat arms uh, that are, you know, more dismounted. But I, I agree with you. I think if you are physically fit, the likelihood of you being a good leader is substantially higher than you're just random, out-of-shape soldier because there's that element of discipline that probably carries over to your actual performance and your actual job. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a big thing too, just that, um, you know, people that are willing to push themselves – you know, are probably going to carry that discipline over. Yeah. And there's definitely times where you're going to see people that are super physically fit that are just awful leaders. And maybe that's just an indication that they're putting way too much effort into one facet of being, you know, a soldier um, and not, you know, balancing it well. But in general, I think fitness has been absent in a lot of the army units, just having traveled a lot 
um, and deployed with a couple formations. I don't think people put emphasis on fitness primarily because of these rotations to Afghanistan, Iraq, where so much of it is just sitting on a fob or driving around in vehicles on like presence patrols. I mean, even back in 2013 on my first deployment, we were 99% of the time in a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has been, that's been pretty bad for the army in general. Cause now people think that that's the norm that you're never going to get on the ground. Yeah. I mean like, uh, it was pretty much the same thing for us when we did our first deployment. We did a lot of riding but we also did a lot of walking too which was kind of shitty um walking in Afghanistan in the summertime was really shitty oh super hot like panjway maywan zari i i remember when we landed in afghanistan and kandahar before we went to basab the concrete was so hot it was like bouncy and you could see your imprint uh before we took off and it was just like I felt so badly. There were a couple of times I felt really badly for the gunners in the extreme heat. And then in the winter when it would be, be like freezing cold, but you know, then some other times it was, it was pleasant out, but the, the two extremes were pretty bad, but the, the heat made it like unbearable sometimes walking around and then getting over, you know, layers of rows of, mm-hmm. of whatever obstacle you were coming across and going through wadis, like awful, way too hot. Yeah, I will say that I was in the best shit in my life though when I came back from Afghanistan. That's probably why I did so well at Ranger School because I came back from Afghanistan and then went to Ranger School pretty much right after that. Yeah, I felt like I was in pretty good shape um, after my third deployment because uh, we did a lot of like elevation stuff um, and running a lot uh, with my platoon sergeant around Alpha, around Bath. Uh, my lungs were pretty good when I got back. Like I felt like I could run for miles. I ran like a, a half marathon at a pretty good click, um, because of, of the training in Afghanistan, even for that, you know, four month deployment. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, I also, on deployment, I was like crushing my body too. I think that was yeah. a great time. I was like doing two days, like waking up in the morning to work out before patrol Yep. Uh, doing like cardio before patrols, come back from patrol, and then just lifting and just getting super joked. Dude, I can't tell you how many times that like my when when I was at Hood, we'd go out and it'd be like, all right, you're gonna be gone for eighteen hours. Be like, okay, eighteen hours, like we're gonna have some sort of a rest cycle out there on the patrol. Um, all right, when I hit this checkpoint, I'm taking my pre workout, like on the way back. And like on the way back, like another platoon would hit an IED and they'd be like, you guys are doing recovery. And I'm like, I just took my pre-workout. Like this is going to throw my lift off. This is so annoying. I should preface it. Nobody was injured uh, in these IED uh, strikes. Um, Or, you know, you'd get back and they'd be like, hey, they want to see you up at the talk. They want to do some brief. And you're like, I'm in my PTs. I'm going to lift. And you're just like, I just want to work out. All I want to do is patrol with my guys get big and then just raid the defac after every single meal. Like, can I please just get on with my, my deployment? And they're like, no, like there's other stuff you got to do. We're in Afghanistan. Like this is bullshit. Yeah. This is bullshit. Just, all you want to do is get big. I was like, deployments are the best time. I like loved going on deployments. Cause it's just like, all you do is you eat, you sleep, you crush weights. And then every so often you go and do some dumb patrols. Heaviest I got and in good weight. Uh, my last deployment, I got to 2.30 because I got there and I was like, I'm going to have the same thing for breakfast every single day, which ended up being my, my meal time on on, uh, 
reverse schedule, but I started with six scrambled eggs every day, a thing of uh, a bagel, um, some cream cheese, like a couple pieces of bacon. And then by the time I was leaving deployment, I was getting up to like eight to 10 scrambled eggs uh, every night. And it was just like, I was getting, I could not, like, I just kept putting on mass and it was like lean mass. And we had all the Metarexes, you know, your guys would come back and be like, we just got, we just got some from the talk. And like every single squad bay would have like boxes of, of protein. You're like, this is awesome. Like aside from the mission, like I would volunteer for this every single day just to get like large and in charge. Yeah. So especially your guys that go deploy, um, there are plenty of good options for eating and the defects. Same thing with stateside. There are good options for eating and the defects. You just got to have yeah. some discipline and, you know, you aren't eating for, for pleasure. You're eating for results. Yep. Um, as what Ryan Coleman says, like, what does he say? No. Who's this? I C. command C. you to grow. Yeah. C.T. Fletcher says something like, yeah, I, know that. <laughs> I don't, I don't eat for you know for the pleasure i eat for the results so like you're not eating yeah. just because it tastes good you're eating because you know you're eating for a certain result or certain um something you're trying to get so yeah i mean your, your body's a machine like you just got to look at it that way um the one thing though i, I got to say i don't like on deployments with lifting is people get focused on the wrong lifts and then they completely neglect cardio uh You've got individuals that want to get their deadlifts up. You know, I think a lot of people generally can't hit above 400 pounds. And so hitting that 405 mark is a, is a milestone and it's a great lift, but they train deadlifts and they'll just cat back it and they'll, they'll break themselves in half, not building up any other like core strength that they need to do that or, or proper hamstring strength. So they're just, they're just RDLing it, which is, it's disgusting to watch because you're like, oh, he's dead. He's definitely dead. Um, and they don't do cardio and you're like, we're going to do PT tests while we're here. That's one thing people don't think happens on deployment. Like you will do a PT test. You are going to do an RPFT, especially for guys in regiments, like probably a month before you head back, you're doing an RPFT. Cause as soon as you get back, like we sent two guys straight to ranger school. Um, and one of them went straight through, uh, and, and we got him like a month before the deployment. So like that individual, the entire time we were deployed was reading nothing but the ranger handbook doing two a days outside of the missions. Like that's what it takes. So don't neglect your cardio. Like we say cardio is king because we mean it. Like you're going to have to do a lot of training. If you want to try to go to selection when you get back from deployment, like if you're a lieutenant and that's usually like this weird period between getting to a unit, training up for deployment, deployment, and then post deployment, you're going to be going to selection. So you can't think that you're going to take nine months off from rucking. You're probably going to have to find like a mile loop on that fob. And you're going to do that over and over and over again. So that when you go to brag, you're not like dead last on these events. Discipline. Yeah. And I don't fat shame privates. Uh, and I don't talk about selection before I go to career course. That was a that hurt my feelings, man. I read that and I was like, it's it's so close to being accurate, but it's 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 accurate. It's just a little off. Um, That's so accurate. It's not it's n- half and half. Half and half. Like I didn't talk about going to selection because uh, I didn't know like what year group I was. But I didn't fat shame privates. Like that is one thing that I was like, not their fault if they're overweight. That's their that's their leadership's fault. I would go and shame their leadership, though. 
um, and and officers like yeah, absolutely not. I, I absolutely I'm excuse me. I I was no holds bar with with fat officers because um, that was just one thing. Like no matter what your rank is in a, as an officer, like you're you're looked to to at some point command and lead, and that is just not the right look if if you're doing the wrong thing consistently to to have that kind of a physical result. So half and half. So bravo on the comment. Hurt my feelings, but. I never did that to, to brand new soldiers. What else do we have to talk about? Um, I mean, there's politics and stuff, but we're never. Was there something about like uh, it was fitness, recovery, comeback from injuries? What else was there? Uh, oh, people wanted to know what it's like being a, a platoon leader again, but like we kind of talked what it's like being a platoon leader in general when you first get to your unit. Um, maybe like in your downtime, we can talk a little bit about what you're doing when, when you're not in a, a red, red cycle, when, when you've got some space open on the calendar to keep your, your platoons fresh and motivated. We could cover that shortly. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, when you're not training up and you're not going to the range every other week, or you're not going to do a live fire or a sticks event, uh, there's a ton of white space that'll sometimes open up on your calendar. And one of the things that individuals in a mech world, I think we neglected significantly was uh, weapons maintenance um, and and maintenance of everything that we had in the arms room. Uh, you know, keeping the the Bradleys. Uh, in the company functioning and getting out um, and being able to do that kind of stuff is important, but like you got to service your weapons, you got to service your nods. Like if, if either of those go down, then you're not worth anything. Cause you know, that Bradley is, is one fighting, you know, element in a larger collective. So um, weapons maintenance is huge. Uh, medical training, like, you know, you should be able to, to go through the, the, the steps to, you know, recovering, uh, an individual, not just with, you know, basic SCEDCO, but all the hoist operations. Um, now that they're doing like, you know, uh, was it donor to donor, like get used to, to being able to put in a needle, like that's all the stuff that you shouldn't rely on your medic for. So those are two things I would say in your downtime is like a PL. If you're looking for, for training, that's the kind of stuff that you should really be, be getting on. You know, it, it's, it's impressive if your platoon's equipment is, is tip top whenever you go out. Um, and even better if, you know, all those great enablers that you have within your formation, you're using them to educate rather than just as a crutch. Yeah, I would say that's a good good uh, point to make about making use of your time because uh, I run into the same, not the same question, but uh, the same idea when it comes to medicine and free time in medicine. Uh, I feel like um, people who are very successful are very good at using free time and filling white space with uh, beneficial or, you know, good things that they can work on or to read because, you know, there's always something that you could be doing to make yourself better or make your unit better or, or what if make your fitness better or what have you. Uh, like for medicine, it's always, for me, I'm always reading or studying or doing something productive. Um, especially like time management in the hospital, like just because everything is about time and being efficient. Um, when I have some free time, I will, you know, look out, and forecast out the next day or next week and try to get um like cases like read up on cases 
uh, prep like notes and the prep surgeries, uh, prepare for surgeries, stuff like that, that, you know, just because you're not doing it that week or the next day, you should look out, you know, further in the next week or two weeks to see what else you could be doing to potentially make your future life easier. What was one thing that you did differently on like a day-to-day basis in regiment uh, as an FSO uh, than you did, you know, in the, in the conventional army? Uh, I would say like I was always doing something like uh, always doing something productive. I feel like in the big army, that's an FSL, like there's not much going on. If there's nothing going on, I just didn't do anything, like didn't forecast or try and do anything else. But in regiment, there was always something further out to look at or something further out to plan. Um, and then filling that white space, you know, during like the prep cycle, like filling some space when the platoons are at ranges, you know, finding something to do with my guys, like whether that's call for fire simulators or going, driving out to like, a range and then doing some like calls for fire um, and just practicing and filling, filling that, that dead space with some positive training. If you were to go back and be an FSO back up at Lewis um, after you did your time, uh, at third bat, what would be something that you would like be like, Oh, I've got all this white space on the calendar. This is what you should be doing, you know, company FSO with your time rather than like what you were saying where you're like, you're just sitting around going, Oh, there's nothing to do. Uh, I think as a company FSO, I think that, um, for like big armor FSO, I think you have a lot more leeway, uh, to be, uh, beneficial to your company. So, like, helping out with training or planning training for the company, um, helping out, you know, making up training for your guys, creating, like, a, you know, pathway for your guys to, for stuff to train on, whether that's calls or fire or, you know, what have you, or getting them guys integrated back into the platoons. They're all, like, ways that you can do to make use of your time because, um, you know, there's nothing more detrimental, I think, than, than not doing anything. That was always the worst. We're guys would feel like they had no purpose when we would just be sitting there and you'd go out and, and just talk to some of them and be like, Hey, can you program in an embitter? Like if I just wanted you to do this plain text channel, would you be able to do that? And when the answer was like, no, you like look over at their team leader and squad leader and be like, why are we just sitting in the hall? Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the things I, I disliked the most about hood because unlike what I saw at some other, you know, um, you know, garrisons, that had, you know, access to this wooded area. Fort Hood, if you're on, you know, Battalion Ave, was like, you know, you had your battalion headquarters, uh, the coughs, and then you had the motor pools. And then behind the motor pools was like a tank trail. And then it kind of just went off into like this weird desert kind of Texas highlands. I, I don't know what the, the official term is. I'm probably really pissing off some Texans for not knowing that. Um, you know, versus if, if you have access to wooded area, I feel like individuals were way more motivated at those, uh, posts or places that had significant terrain to get out there and, you know, practice different movement techniques and practice different kind of, you know, dry fire drills because it felt like a real environment instead of just kind of going out and just standing off in a desert, trying to do it and be like, play glass house. Um, I think that was one thing that, Fort Hood, no matter how many times you could try to practice and get individuals in that right state of mind, everything just kind of seemed like it was being run at a jogging pace because you couldn't actually, unless you went out into the training area, get that real life, I'm in the woods, I'm doing this for real sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's like a, but that's like the flip side of the coin too, is like if you have dead space, like you don't necessarily have to fill the dead space too. Um, if you if you got, if it's like been like go 
you know, tough training cycle and you're, you guys are at the, at the field or in the field for like two weeks and then you have a week off. It's like you don't necessarily have to fill dead space with, you know, some extra trainings to fill it. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was that was like eye opening when you knew you were supposed to be in like a, a recovery period. And, um, at, you know, at Hunter, they'd be like, all right. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have anything to do after PT, like head to Tybee Island and chill like these are essentially like your days off, maximize them, hang out with your family. I think for that, uh, the Ranger family time was phenomenal because individuals could, after like really strenuous training cycles, they knew that there was going to be kind of that dedicated period where they were going to be like doing, you know, individual level tasks. They were going to get their fitness, like even more on point train up for maybe some special schools. But all in all, individuals knew that before noon, they were going to be hanging out with their families, uh, seeing their families so that when we had to keep them, for reverse hours, or we had to keep them longer for these training events. It was like, okay, that that's part of the game. Instead of, you know, sometimes in the regular army, I just felt like it was constantly, we have to be at a hundred percent. We have to be like full mm-hmm. throttle. And it was like, you're burning people out. And it, it's not like the training that we're doing was high speed. It was just like, this just seems we're putting way too much eff- emphasis on something that's really mundane, really dumb and doesn't have to be to this level. Yeah. And that's like the, I think what's a big, difference between like uh i guess like soft and like big armies that you know people in soft understand um like how to train how to structure training whereas in the army it's like there's not really a good understanding or way to conceptualize it where there's like no it's always on versus having some off periods and same with like with training too like physical training like you can't be on you know it can't be in right. year round right that was that was always so frustrating and, and getting the recalled formations and doing doing these random tasks that you could have really gotten by with. And, and you know, there was a lot of uh, collective training that units had to do that was coming down from division. It was like, oh, you have 260 days within the year uh, of actual training space. Um, and of that amount of time, it was filled with 300 days worth of training requirements. And a lot of those training day requirements were filled with just PowerPoints, like random sign-up sheets that had to be filled out. And you understand why people get so disenfranchised with service because you just waste so much of their time. Instead of going out and doing some cool stuff, you just waste it. And the other thing that's really frustrating from a planner's perspective too is for all those like platoon leaders, XOs out there, uh, staff sergeants, sergeants first class, when you want to put on a good training event, it's not like the land's always available. And so when you go to reserve land, a lot of these unit S3s are jerks and they'll just reserve huge swaths of land and then never use them. And that the unit gets in trouble if they don't go and use them. And it's like, it, it's literally water off their back. Like, oh, sorry, range control. We didn't mean to not occupy. Like, you know, and now another unit that could have used that land is completely screwed. Um, that was really frustrating when we would try to go and, and do some sort of platoon level event and you're just like why can't i use this ta oh this battalion's using it they're not even in the field but i I still am not authorized to get on it like that was really frustrating it just seems like there's some really inefficient pieces um and divisions try to get better with it but for the most part there's no repercussions like if you don't take a piece of land and utilize it for training then like that battalion commander like dude you're not getting a most qualified block like you are wasting someone else's time in this brigade because you just want to have all the land to yourself to send people out to do some like calf call spur ride you know kind of bullshit 
Yeah, I definitely miss training. That was like a big thing. Difference training the big army versus training in regiments. Just like regiment was always very deliberate in what they wanted. Like it's like with training, um, like physical fitness. It's like they have deliberate goals they're trying to meet, and deliberate um, like goals with sessions, like certain milestones that you're trying to meet. Whereas the army felt like it's more haphazard and just like, oh, we're just doing this just to do it. Yeah, and it, I felt like in the again, I I was always shocked by what I thought was like super high speed to what I came to learn was should have been the standard, you know, and and you look at the training that, you know, the Rangers do, and then you leave and you're like, that was relatively basic done to like the perfect level, but there's no reason that the regular army should not be trying to, to replicate that exact same squad sticks, that exact same company live fire. Like there's no reason why there shouldn't be, you know, some sort of a, a breach element in a company live fire that involves more than just like some weird bottle charge that you're going to throw down there. Um, and that's the extent that you're going to use your engineers. Like there should be like Tanglefoot, like th- there should be like really complex weaponry that you're going to bring in to get your guys, you know, trained on on those systems, whether it's mortars, the, the Carl G, uh, an AT4. And then half the time I would just see these these live fire events just turn into the exact same thing. Oh, movement to contact, check. Okay, uh, attack, check, and then respond, counterattack. Like that's the same thing every single time in every single formation outside of regiment. It's like these people get so bored. It's no wonder that, you know, you've got a, a specialist to an E6 that's been in this formation for you know, say four years, five years, and they've done the exact same thing every single year over and over again. It's like, you got to, you got to make this flavor a little bit more appetizing and challenge these soldiers because they can handle it. Like make it complex. You'll be really shocked, but senior leaders don't want to sign off on that risk. And I think that is the biggest problem is you have a risk adverse, you know, command sometimes that doesn't want to take on those challenges. And it's kind of apparent, I think. And when you see different formations get, you know, the, the brunt of some army assignments. It's like, oh, we want to send someone in. Let's send the 82nd. And it's like, well, why are they sending the 82nd over everyone else? It's like, well, you have a lot of Rangers coming from battalion that are taking battalion command there, that are taking company command there, that are doing more challenging training than, you know, guys maybe at uh, Fort Polk or guys at Fort Hood. It's like, you know, the, the, the risk is greater, but the reward's better. I don't know. That was just frustrating. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, it was very apparent too. Uh, granted, I never did like a bunch of army, big army training, um, but I could definitely see that uh, mentality of, you know, this is how we've always done it, and the, the leadership has just fallen to that, you know, excuse that this is how we've always done it, and this is just this is all we need to do to to qualify. It was nuts when when I got up to the three shop at Carson. Um, we had a plan. Uh, we're doing. The, the brigade FTX, um, and I got to be the primary planner for the brigade um, in setting up the, the situation that we were going to roll into. And um, that was a really cool learning experience working with my three. But uh, I took it over from another captain who was like, oh, this is what we did last time. So I'm just going to take the exact same thing and just put it on the map. And uh, since we've had new commands rotate in, it'll be you know just as challenging. And I sat there looking at him like, yeah, the, the commands might have changed out, but 70% of the formation did this a year and a half ago. Why are we going to, they're going to see it's the exact same thing. Like, and automatically they're going to be like, if we're not making any effort to create something challenging and new, why the hell should they put any effort forth 
to do any better than they did the last time. Like that was what was really frustrating is this this world of we just replicate con ops and we don't want to recreate the wheel, so we just use the same wheel that we generally have been using since, you know, post-World War II. And I get it. Like the stuff that the Rangers did when you know, they were jumping in the 80s, hasn't really changed to what we're doing now, but there's been small improvements. And that's why the Ranger Regiment is so awesome because they're constantly evolving and pushing themselves. And I just don't see that all the time from the conventional formations. Yeah, soapbox. 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 In other words, get out of the Berger Army and go do something better. Yeah, go... Uh, Go try to, to be somebody. Be best, um, as Mrs. Trump would say. Uh, be best. Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, uh, we've got, by this time you're listening to this, you've got nine days to get your applications in for uh, Cronus Scholars. Um, get them in. We've, we've got three $1,000 scholarships uh, to give out this year to veterans that are you know either just transitioned uh, in going to school or are currently in school. Um, so, you know, don't hesitate to reach out if you've got questions on that process, um, you know, and let us know where you are in the, the application uh, development stage so that we can, you know, try to help you out if you need some. Definitely apply for the scholarship. Um, you know, we just want to see you guys uh, do well and be supported uh, through your, all your endeavors post-military. Hell yeah. Uh, with that, uh, I don't know if I have anything else going on, uh, and no other announcements really to talk about. Um, no, man. So with that, I guess we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> See ya. Peace. Peace.